Howdy! Welcome to Date Night at the Movies. Uh, I can't even finish because that was just impressive. Killing it. Yeah, or how I spent my babysitter money because we got to say it now. Hey, you guys. I'm Jess. I'm Jordan. And we're your hosts for Date Night at the Movies. Welcome to episode five, everybody. Right? Yeah. This uh, last week was kind of a or last week, last one ever. Last episode was kind of a weird one because I was out of town for it and I went and saw the Meg with Lennon. But uh, we're back to the normal format with both dogs in the room. Charlie's already crying to be let out in the backyard. Reunited and it feels so good. You're welcome. I'm just gonna let you keep going. <laughs> Killing it today. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we've got some crazy stuff to share, and it's date night, you guys. How exciting is that? Right? I don't know about you guys out there, all of you in TV land, if that's what they're still calling it, but uh, we haven't had a proper date night in a while now. I know. It's been a very long while. Um, I do want to say a special shout out to Tony McFar, who was our special guest in episode two. Uh Tony, it was so amazing to be with you and your wife and get to learn a little bit, bit about you. Also, thank you to Lennon for such a wonderful platonic date night. Lennon and I, uh, we bonded over shark movies to begin with, so it was a perfect pairing. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And also a little bit of a shout out from episode four. Jordan had to scramble to remember our Insta handle. Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know... Uh, People like me who spend all their time in front of computers are surprisingly not adept at social media sometimes. So shock and awe, I'm the one behind most of the socials. Yeah, she doesn't get to complain that much because she doesn't have to edit every single episode. I'm not very good. But quick announcement for everybody in podcast land slash TV land, slash listening, wherever you listen. Uh, we have a new Instagram handle. Um, so we tried to simplify it. I thought the underscore was too difficult. Or maybe that was just me. So you can find us on Insta, and we'll remember. We'll do all the normal um, holler at you things, but at date night at the movies. All one word. If this is too complicated, let us know. Slash when we start thinking and it's too complicated. And that was dog let out number one of the evening. Yeah. So basically my studio is at the bottom of our house, like in what most people would call the basement level. Uh, but our house is on such a steep hill that it just lets out into our backyard. So basically our dogs like to run a circuit of me letting them out back here then them running up the stairs through the doggy door and coming back down and letting me, allowing me to let them out again. Gauntlet. Yeah. So, welcome everybody to episode five, and we saw, drum roll please. <laughs> Joy to the world. <laughs> so hoping you would do that. You're welcome. <laughs> Christopher Robin. I, I just like faking you out at this point. I know, I've like, done it in like every single episode. I think you're going to talk and then you don't. Um, we went and saw Christopher Robin, you guys. And uh, boy, it was sweet. It was really good. It was like sanguine. Mm -hmm. um, drink of the podcast. Right, because Jessica's here to remind me to do it this time. I know, I'm very disappointed. Which, Lennon Hobson, what was going to be the drink of the podcast? I want to know. Um, but the drink of the podcast, because it was old London town and this was about as English of a movie as it could get. So we were drinking very milky black tea with a decent amount of sugar in it. Yes. Um, 
Hashtag, we should have used honey. Damn it. Oh, we failed. And we do have, uh, we have honey that your mom brought us from Hawaii. I know, right? Oh, everybody. At some point in this podcast, I'm going to run upstairs and I'm going to get honey and we're going to eat it. Yeah, we're just going to guzzle honey. We're just going to guzzle honey. Okay. Whenever you hear somebody have a heart attack on the floor, that's because Jordan was guzzling honey. You can't. You don't know how much honey I've had today. Oh, I don't. All right. So I guess we'll start off like we normally do uh, in rating it. So Yes, let's do it in honey pots. Uh, I suppose I'll, uh, I'll have to give it about four honey pots, I'll say. Okay. Why so? I mean, because it was really good. You know, there wasn't anything glaring that I wish they would have done differently. There wasn't anything glaring that just really caught my eyes that like, oh, that doesn't make sense to me. You know, it was just a good children's movie. Yeah. Um, I'll say I'll give it probably a 3.8 honey pots. Mm -hmm. Reason being... Do you remember showing me the trailer? Yes, I do. It it consisted of you told me about it and I cried. And then you proceeded to show me. And then I sat in our closet and wept my eyes out. Um, what makes that picture even better is that she was changing clothes at the time. So she's literally sitting there like half dressed with basically like a shirt over her neck just crying. It was too much. And, you know... We definitely grew up with Winnie the Pooh. Many people did. And so I kind of expected this just drenched in pun intended, honey, Mm -hmm. kind of movie. Um, But I felt like everything was kind of forced. Like when he was giving his big, you know, the end of Elf when he's just like, now I'm going to go look for Buddy. And he's like, Mm -hmm. and the kid and it's awesome and it feels right. Well, when Ewan McGregor, when Christopher Robin calls in his family during his big speech, it didn't feel like they were supposed to to be there. Like they weren't supposed to be called in. So um, I, that's kind of how the whole movie felt to me. It was just like these moments that you were like, it's almost right, but it felt forced. Fair enough. I'll Now that you say that, I'll go down to about three and a half honeypots. Yeah. Which is still a glowing review. Yes. Um, all of our furry friends are just magic. Yeah, I genuinely, like, this is probably the most realistic way they could have ever done the Winnie the Pooh animals. And I just think their care, like, them as characters was spot on. Yeah. I I like how they even had the veins in rabbit's ears, you know? Oh, I didn't even notice. Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, like, they had veins in there the way that would be, like, if you see a rabbit up close. I love that. Um... So the director of this movie, Mark Forster, mm-hmm. he he's such a good director, but he baffles me sometimes because like he constantly makes movies that are that just about reach greatness. Now, not as much of a letdown as like Man of Steel, for example. I can't. Or definitely not as much as The Hobbit. Oh, I can't. Uh, oh no, it's like you're giving him like the worst greatest n- hits. No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not saying that he, like his movies fall from grace like that. What I'm I'm saying is that he tends to make these movies that have like really interesting ideas and really like, yes, I want to see that movie. And they just don't tend to translate. Now, I think that's because he's a very artsy director 
And it's surprising that he's that he's making a children's movie because he's still making a children's movie the way that he would make a movie. Like, you know, some of the shots in it are just beautiful. Uh, I mean, he, the whole thing was beautiful. Well, and he has a lot of shots in there of like, you know, like almost non sequitur shots, just like, you know, the sun, the sun coming through the uh, leaves in the middle of a line or something like that, just for the sake of putting it there. And it's great. But he tends to sometimes have a problem of doing a little more style over substance, you know? Yeah, I can see that. Like, he did Stranger Than Fiction, which is a really oh, good movie. Love. Also, shout out, that was written by uh, DePaul grad. Yes, it was. Uh, he also did uh, Quantum of Solace, which definitely <laughs> suffered for st- from style over substance. Right, but I did like. Yeah, it, I still liked it too. And the, honestly, the problems with this movie, with that movie, aren't his fault. Um, he did, what What else did he do? Um, he did Finding Neverland, which I'm assuming is one of the reasons why he got this job. That makes sense. Um, he did this weird movie from the early 2010s called Machine Gun Preacher that has. Oh, did you ever see I, that one? No, I did not. But yeah. I know what I know of what you speak. You, you, and again, it throws you for a curveball because the, by the title, you think it's going to be like basically a Robert Rodriguez movie. But it's based on a true story of a of a former drug addict turned preacher who goes to oh. Africa and like is protecting his flock with a machine gun. I'm pretty sure that's one of the many movies that my father's watched in the middle of the night. And you're like, what? the? Yeah. So, so Mark Forrester is a very good director, and he's done a lot of other movies that I know I'm missing right now. Um, but, uh, you know, I thought he did a good job with this, but a- again, sometimes the substance doesn't quite get it there. But I wonder if, I don't know if that's necessarily his issue or if it's an issue with the, like, six credited screenwriters on this movie. That's fair. But overall, I felt, I mean, gosh, I felt like I was giggling throughout the whole thing. I just there pretty much throughout the whole movie. And this is another one where Jessica and I were the only ones in the theater for this. Uh, that's going to be a very different issue. I think when we go see the next movie in another couple of days, uh, but pretty much every five minutes or so is, Oh, Oh, like, like she's just having her heart melted throughout this movie. It was precious. Yeah. And, uh, I did not, oh no, here comes the hate, did not love Ewan McGregor in this movie. Which is weird because I will consistently watch him in anything. Oh my God, like I even, am, he's forgivable in the first, first, like uh, the prequels of the Star Wars films. He's the only one person who's been in all three of those movies. Him and like John Williams are the only two people involved in the, all the prequels who come out unscathed. You yeah, know? I, I'll get on board with that. Yeah. And I, I just, I... I don't maybe maybe I'm on an oversaturation of Ewan McGregor right we, now because we did just finish or we're just about to finish uh, all of Fargo season three, uh, which is great if you haven't seen it and you're inclined to really dark and weird things like that. Oh, absolutely. Um, but you know, he we saw him in Fargo season three. Uh, we feels like we just saw him, even though it was over a year ago, in Beauty and the Beast. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but, like, I typically love Ewan McGregor. For me, I think he was a uh, kid's movie acting in this in this movie. Yeah, I guess maybe one, we needed a, like, like The Incredibles, we needed a, a theater full of young people. Yeah, I wish we would have gotten to see this movie earlier. I do, too. And so maybe that's one of the things we suffered from, mm-hmm. because, I mean, the characters were just 
perfect. Right. Tigger was like them when they when it's like the race in the streets and he's trying to bounce his tail out mm-hmm. and he's trying to bounce them free. That's money. Yeah. But I just and Pooh, I mean him walking through the house with the honey and getting stuck <laughs> to the carpet. Um and, and I I can't ever get enough of symbolism of you this is your life now. Live your life now and enjoy it because you don't you don't get another one mm-hmm. in theory and go play and go be a part of your family. There's just a lot of really beautiful things that I'm always all about. Um, and I don't know. I think it was a script issue because I think for what it was, it was done. It was right. It's uh, it's a similar thing to what we said about Jurassic World, where it's like, well, maybe the movie would have been better if they would have had uh, if they would have had another go around on the script. But again, with this having like literally f- at least five credited writers. Yeah. Which uh, also shout out to our our friend Chelsea Ward uh, for Jurassic Jurassic World. She was like, they just made another Adominus Rex. Yeah, I want to just I just it, it was just nice. Shout out to you. Yeah, it was nice. So we went to go visit our friends Daniel and Chelsea, who just had a baby last week. Yeah. Um, and Daniel and I, you know, we've known each other since we were like fourteen. You know, he was a Marine. He's you know kicking ass at working for the VA in Nashville. Like you know, he's just. He's just an all-around, like, impressive guy. Yeah. But we've always had, like, we always watched the same movies, and a lot of them we came to very different uh, opinions on. Like, you know, we definitely are not on the same page with uh, Last Jedi. And it's one of those things where I try and avoid talking with them about it sometimes because I was like, oh, this is just a rabbit hole we're going to go down, you know. (laughs) But we were talking about Jurassic World, and it was nice to hear that he and Chelsea thought pretty much the same things about Jurassic World 2 that we did, which, like, I remember at one point I was just like, oh, yeah, they basically just remade The Lost World. And they were like, yeah, that's what we said, too. So it was just nice to hear that we weren't just being cynical assholes about that. Yes. Yeah. And and I guess with this one, I really tried to not let my cynical in because I just love a story that's about being youthful. However... I just, I kind of, it just, a lot of it felt forced. And honestly, I just wanted to follow Winnie, po- Winnie the Pooh the whole time. Yeah. Do you think maybe if this were not a movie about Christopher Robin and it were just about Winnie the Pooh? Oh, I think it would be a different ball game. But you realize though, and I had forgotten about this, but it's only been seven years since the last theatrical Winnie the Pooh movie. Which one was that? It was just called Winnie the Pooh. I don't think I saw saw that. I don't think we saw it. Uh, I mean, we were living in L.A. at the time. We were pretty broke, so we didn't go see many movies around in 2011. Oh, it was 20. Oh, 2011 was a story, you guys. Mm-hmm. 2011, we didn't. 2011, Jordan was back in audio engineering school. We hadn't. We first year of marriage. I had five jobs. We were both all over the city. Were you still at Starbucks at the time? Uh, I mean, I was for a little bit. Remember, I would just show up one day a week to piss them off. (laughs) And now we've burned that Starbucks bridge on our uh, podcast. No, we haven't because my Starbucks app has plenty of points on it. I'm all about that local coffee shop. But the Some, star- sometimes the Starbucks is just there. And uh, we did, uh, my cousin, um, Owen Ward, did a 9-11 stair climb. Uh, he's a firefighter in the greater Nashville area. And I bought the whole family some Starbucks. Mm-hmm. So we love Starbucks, but 
not good Starbucks employees. <laughs> no, no. Uh, that particular Starbucks that I was at was pretty awful. Um, anyway. May I add something? Maybe this movie did do something because all we've done is reminisce. I, you know, I was just thinking that and I was wondering if it was because we didn't like the movie as much as we thought we did, but maybe it is a... Uh, Maybe it is an unknown byproduct of it. If you guys find yourself reminiscing after watching this movie, please let us know. Like, you know, obviously you don't have to tell us anything you don't want to tell us, but I'd love to know if if this is just us trying to fill time on the podcast or if, you know, this is an actual byproduct of the movie. Well, because think about it. We were both we were both were immediately like OT and what, what, what how did they? What did your family say in in Ireland? How tea? How like uh, the milkiest tea? Or I I can't remember exactly. I know they just always they always called it milky tea. You know. Well, anyway, I I never really drank black tea with like milk and sugar until I went to Northern Ireland with you guys, and I guess that that this movie made me feel childlike. Mm-hmm. I was doing flipping handstands in the theater. And and immediately I just here we are, we're in our we're in our cozies, we're drinking tea, we're home. And and yeah, we've, you know, we've had a lot of work and travel lately, but I think there was just like this it made me want to do those things. Yeah. I also came home and I just wanted, I felt cozy. So I don't know if, I don't know if it was the movie or not, but there's just something so, you know, like Pooh Bear was just saying he likes to be warmed. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was a a really great line. So there was true magic in the movie. Absolutely. But I do think it, I don't think it, it didn't hit it out of the ballpark. No, I think that this is this was a really solid movie and it was really enjoyable and I would adamantly tell anybody to go see this movie. I don't think it's one that I'm just raring to revisit anytime soon, like as a movie, but in terms of something special there, there's definitely something attached to this movie. Yes. Now, back to normal podcasting. <laughs> uh I don't know if you caught this, but halfway through the movie, I was like, oh, I've seen this before in 1991 with Dustin Hoffman and Robin Williams in Hook. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Nailed it. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. Bangerang. <laughs> Whoa. <sighs> like, you can fly. Like, you're doing it, Peter. You're doing it. And yeah. they start eating. Oh, Wow. Hook nailed it, though. Yeah, I think that people our age are a little more forgiving of Hook than most people are. I love Hook. And um, so a lot of my buddies in the sword fighting world, uh, Dan Speaker and Luke LaFontaine, have told me tons of stories from Hook. So how cool. And it is. It is. But again, it is it is a tale that never gets old. And it's constantly reminding us to, like, chill the F out mm-hmm. and just live our freaking lives. I mean, especially like the parallels whenever, you know, in this movie, Christopher Robin's wife is being like, stop, you need to play with your daughter. And there's specifically a line in Hook where Peter Pan's wife is saying, your children are here. They want to talk to you. They want to play with you. And like that, it was just a very big thing in both movies, you know? And I mean, 
I don't think we're quite at the prime age for this movie because for a movie like this, and and again, not criticizing it at all, but a movie like this, I think you either need to be a young child or you need to be a middle-aged adult to really get the most out of it, you know? I can see that. I can see that. Again, I just really wanted to... I just wanted to watch Eeyore the whole time. I mean, can we... T- I think Eeyore is the true star of this movie. Eeyore definitely brought it. I mean, him running around with Eeyore in his arms. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh, what was the line that just about killed me? Um, uh, I, I can't remember now. And I even was, was, like, make a note of this. Oh, my gosh, I just lost it. But I, I love... At one point, you just said, ouch. And yeah. it was just great. I loved... so. There's a point in the movie where he has to take the a weather vane off of a collapsed building, and the whole time Eeyore thinks that he's a heffalump, uh, and he takes that off. There, he's like, "Great, now it has a weapon." <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> that was so good. But you know who voiced Eeyore in this movie? Mm-mm. Brad Garrett. Oh. Yeah. You know why that's important, though? Why? It's because apparently Brad Garrett has been voicing Eeyore since like the mid '90s. Really? Yeah. I never realized it. Again, I've missed out on a few Winnie the Pooh movies because I know there was like the Tigger movie and then there was the last one that we both forgot existed. I've seen the Tigger movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's been he's been the voice of Eeyore for a while now. Wow. There's actually a story. I, I did a little bit of IMDbing before we started uh, recording just mm-hmm. to see if I could find anything. First of all, uh, voice of Rabbit was Peter Capaldi. I, yeah. Yeah. I gotta love me some Doctor Who. <laughs> but um, there's apparently a story where on Everybody Loves Raymond, uh, he was having a meeting with Phil Rosenthal. Uh, Rosenthal was like, well, you know, your voice, it sounds a lot like Eeyore. He's like, well, I am Eeyore. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know that's definitely your personality. He's like, no, I'm literally Eeyore. <laughs> literally <laughs> yeah. Eeyore. I love it. Um, Which cheers to Phil Rosenthal in his new endeavor. Yeah. Yes, he's on an awesome TV show. Sweet. We just heard about it on Thug Kitchen Forked Up podcast. But um, that's hysterical. Yeah. I I mean, Eeyore, I mean, all the honeypots, the Eeyore. Mm-hmm. I really, and maybe, maybe that's why I'm not like hitting hard on like what I didn't like. I expected, I really expected to ball my eyes out. Right. I didn't. I, I thought that it missed a few opportunities to like really hit home. But at the same time, I wonder if you really want that in a movie like this. Like, I, like think about, okay, here's another family movie where a lot of, where you hear people our age talk about it, but Marley and me. Oh yeah. The only thing you ever hear people talk about Marley and me is how sad it is at the end. And really, do we need another children's movie that just makes you feel sad? Yeah. Like, all right, you know what I wanted this movie to feel like or what I was expecting it to feel like? What's that? The Little Prince. Oof. Oof. Mm. Yeah, I I lost it at that movie. Oh, I think we both were puddles by the end of that movie. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, Hans Zimmer's score is so great in there, and, like, especially the last shots where, you know, spoilers for a three-year-old animated movie that's free on Netflix, uh, (laughs) where the... Which, go watch it. Seriously. It doesn't matter how old you are. Yeah, um... I'm actually probably going to rewatch it again sometime soon. But, uh, you know, the little prince turns into an adult and forgets who he is. And then at the very end of the movie, he finds out who he is. And just the music at that moment and the way that it was animated. 
I was expecting so good. I was expecting a, a moment like that in this movie, and it gave us a similar equivalent, but it never quite got there. But really, the more I'm talking about it, the more I'm thinking that's okay, because this is a movie where, like, if we were just at somebody's house and they put on a Little Prince, I may have to just like avoid the TV because I don't want to just lose it in front of everybody. But if you know we go to somebody's house and their kids like, oh, they want to watch Christopher Robin, it's like, oh, cool. You right. know, you know, I got you know what I thought this was going to be. What? Um, oh, there it went. Um, tea is balm for the soul. Yes. Um, about Mary Poppins. Help me. Oh, uh, saving Mr. Banks. That's saving Mr. Banks. Should we tell the story of how we saw saving Mr. Banks? Yes. Because it pertains to this movie mm-hmm. as well. So I guess I expected this to feel like saving Mr. Banks. Um, we went and saw Saving Mr. Banks for the third time or 12th time. Uh, when we first saw it, we were going to a compose Society of Composers and Lyricists event that Jordan was going to, and we went and saw it on the Disney lot. It was in the Disney lot in Burbank, so like yeah. where they actually filmed the movie. Yes, and what it still looked it looked that way. Right. They've kept it up so well. We went and saw it because A, it was on my birthday. And B, uh, Thomas Newman, who's like my favorite composer, uh, who did the music for that movie, was giving us a Q&A with Richard Sherman uh, afterwards. And so it was, I was so cool. So I was like, stars are aligning right now. And one, the movie is terrific. And I guess I, guess I wanted, when you see Emma Watson go through that, she goes through this Emma heart- Watson? What did I say? You said Emma Watson. It's Emma Thompson. Oh, Emma Watson. I've been watching way too much Harry Potter yes, lately. Yes, you have. Emma Thompson, you see her go through this gut-wrenching change, and it follows, once again, this hero's journey that the the she comes... She's still the same person because she... In the real story, she's crying at the end of Mary Poppins because there was animation in it. Mm-hmm. Because I, she hated it. Because she hated it. Um, and she's still is this bitter woman, but she does come back changed. And I guess I was looking for a little bit more of that Mm -hmm. from Ewan McGregor. Yeah. And so I didn't, I didn't get that. Um, It didn't feel like the change was hard enough. No, I mean, maybe again, if I can sum up what I thought about Ewan McGregor in this movie is that he gave in, a very he gave a very typical children's movie performance, which is just disappointing because Ewan McGregor usually elevates whatever he's in. Yes, but uh, but you know, like either he wasn't directed to go that extra mile, or he just didn't do it on his own. I'm not sure exactly exactly what it was. Like he he was fine, but he was literally playing a role that almost anybody else could have played. Yeah, and and that was just disappointing to me. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I see what you mean by that. So here's another thing that I was wondering, like, it just seemed to go nowhere. I guess it was in there to illustrate how busy he was, but, you know, neglecting his daughter already did that. But his neighbor with a gin rummy? Yeah. They they never revisited that, so... Well, they did, but then it made it seem like Christopher Robin just didn't like him. Yeah, that's the thing, is that, like, they, they made him out to be... In movies f- that we used to watch as kids, you know, in our generation, there was always like the nosy neighbor, the annoying neighbor, somebody who they had to like pull the wool over somebody's eyes. 
And they made that neighbor out to be like that. But really, if you think about it, he was just a guy who was like, you're my neighbor. Let's play cards. He's just being freaking nice. Yeah. And then it turned into like he's weird. And that didn't... They, they kept progressively making him weirder and weirder as and it went on. he wasn't a weird dude. Like, at, at some point, I was expecting that just in the background, the police were going to come raid his house, right? you know? Right? Yeah. I know, that wasn't fair. Yeah, I, I... Really, they could have just gotten rid of that. And the only reason, like, objectively, they kept him in the movie was so that Christopher Robin had to hide Pooh in the park. But really, they could have done that a multitude of ways. Well, they could have still done the knocking... Like, cause he looked like he was supposed to be home for the weekend to play cards mm-hmm. and him go, Oh crap. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm too busy. You know, mm-hmm. it could have been that. And that's how he retreated. It didn't. And then his neighbor didn't have to follow him. Yeah. Although when he puts Pooh Bear in his jacket, he's like, you're squishing me. Yeah. It was pretty great. Right, that, that was a good Ewan McGregor moment in this movie. <laughs> yes. But there's plenty of, they could have had the, you're squishing me yeah. moment somewhere. Yeah, and because they had so many other opportunities for him to do that, like in the train station and on the train, and there was yeah. just oodles of opportunity. I think I think the neighbor, the whole neighbor subplot, if that's what we want to call it, is kind of a fail in this movie. I agree. Yeah, and with that, let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Have you ever wanted to have lunch with a stunt man? I suppose I have, but I usually have lunch with a stunt woman, so I think <laughs> I'm just jaded. I think I think you've had a lot of lunches with stunt people, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I, I usually just zone out of the conversation. <laughs> I think that's totally fair. Well, if you happen to be in the Atlanta area, head down to Peachtree City because you can have lunch with a stunt man. You can have lunch with Tony McFarr at the Fit Kitchen ATL. It's in Peachtree City, Georgia. It is so healthy. I get super excited for places that are fast, where we can get really good dinners or lunches and feel really good afterwards. And that's exactly what the Fit Kitchen does, inspired by a stuntman. So definitely go check out at the Fit Kitchen ATL on Instagram, or you can visit their website at www.thefitkitchenatl.com. And again, www.thefitkitchenatl.com. It's really rad. All right, guys. Uh, I say guys. I mean guys and gals. I'm just lazy Southern guy. Uh, don't mean anything by it. Uh, welcome back to Date Night at the Movies. We're here talking about Christopher Robin. We just had a little break where we got some more tea and got some honey to guzzle. Yes, and welcome to the second half of the podcast where we're going to talk more of Christopher Robin, Winnie the Pooh, honey, and how one should drink their tea. Yes. So, um, I guess where do we want to start with this? Well, over the break, I mentioned that I was like, I really want to talk about the music for this. Um, I don't tend to have the best ear for it other than, oh, hey, that didn't fit or not, mm-hmm. despite that I fa- the fact that I live with a composer and have directed movies, so you'd think I'd have a better ear. But one thing that really... Um, it's, and it's not reinventing the wheel by any means, but something that I really, really liked was the droves of people going to work and it's raining when they have umbrellas and it, the sound design ends up being the rotating glass door. Mm-hmm. And that whenever they're walking, you don't see the, the door for the first, um, you just see them walking. And I kept being like, what is that really? otherworldly noise 
and it was the door going into the office. So mm-hmm. I don't know. That just really struck me. Um, and there weren't a great deal more of moments like that. Like there was none of Christopher Robin, just the sound design of him walking through leaves or just more crisp moments like that. So I, it really, really was poignant to me. Yeah. From a technical standpoint, I thought the sound design was interesting in this movie because like it wasn't very loud at all. I don't know if that was just our theater, but like even whenever like his shelves came crashing down, like it sounded like a more muted response, you know, total segue. So we'll loop back to music. I, you know, you've got the towel of Winnie the Pooh and you have like all these like symbolism of Winnie the Pooh. And basically Winnie the Pooh has been theorized to be um, symbols of mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder, you know, we don't have any children that have learning disorders or disabilities. We don't have children regardless of anything. Touche. But we have spent a lot of time in education systems. And I remember when I worked at the Children's Museum, we would have children with disabilities days and things were quieter. Mm. We would turn the music way down. You know, just it was a lot more mellow. So I wonder, is Winnie the Pooh balmy? Is it soothing and maybe that's why was it really suited for kids it's possible and honestly that's what i thought because like i noticed it but normally you know me when i've noticed things like that usually i'm like oh this time i was like oh it must be because it's a kids movie you know and i i just accepted that the incredibles was loud the incredibles but it's It's an action movie it's a different type of movie though but but to mean to your point though that is a distinct possibility i mean if you think about it i remember when we were kids like less than 10 years old Mm -hmm. remember the disney store at the mall yes so i remember they had like the big thing of like stuffed animals and they had the winnie the pooh characters from the movie uh, which are like, you know, bright, vibrant, you know, that super bright red uh, and deep yellow. They weren't vibrant. Well, but, but that's the thing. They also had the ones that were more based on the artwork from the book, which were a lot more muted as well. Very muted. Um, I just wanted to squeeze Tigger mm-hmm. really, really hard. I thought it was an interesting choice that they, they Tigger to me kind of felt old, you know? Like t- Tigger to me, I'll, like I always grew up thinking of Tigger as, you know, your your buddy with ADD. Well, um, he uh, he is a symbolism for ADHD. Right, but in this one, Tigger seemed like a spry old man, like somebody who Dick Van Dyke would have played. Or um, maybe maybe he's like someone with early onset Alzheimer's. Maybe. <laughs> Thanks, kids. Movie. <laughs> No, but there's something beautiful. Oh, absolutely. There's something beautiful about that, but you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, obviously, you know, we talked about this earlier is that, you know, Chris O'Dowd was originally going to be the voice of Tigger. Apparently, test audiences didn't like his accent as Tigger just because people had been so used to hearing Tigger. Yeah. So they got Jim Cumming to go back in and redo, uh, redo the voice for Tigger, which, you know, he'd always done Tigger. He also did Winnie the Pooh, so it's not like Chris O'Dowd had initially stolen anybody's job. Right, but. and, I mean, this household loves us some Chris O'Dowd. Oh, yeah. So he, he, in our eyes, he probably could have done, done no wrong, but it's also Tigger. Yeah, like, but, but I, I do wonder, though, if Tigger would have felt less of an old man to me if it was a different voice. Because, you know, you can tell that Jim Cummings is getting a little on up in age, you know? Oh, yeah. And th- that's fine. And that's part of the story. I mean, this takes place 30 years later. But the fact that it was the same in the first scene with a child, Christopher Robin, 
you know, it was just something that I noticed. That's not a good or a bad thing. It's just something I noticed. That's fair. Um, also, opening honey right now. You guys can't see it. We're going to have a toast to Johan Johansson. Mm-hmm. May he rest in peace. And I really wish I could have heard his um, his music for this tale. Yep. Um, we're doing the podcast and child-friendly version of pouring one out. Right. <laughs> so I was thinking about that during the movie. And we'll talk about the music that we actually hear in the movie yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Because there is actually quite a bit to talk about there. Uh, yeah. But I was thinking, I can't imagine what this movie would have been like had Johan Johansson done it. How so? Well, because... He was such a singular artist, and he had, like, singular not in a way that he always sounds one way, but, like, he he had a very strong thumbprint on everything he did. Yeah. That I have no doubt that his music would have been beautiful, and it would have probably been similar to what they had in here. But I have a hard time seeing how he would have brought back in, like, the Winnie the Pooh theme, which is how, what they did here. And that's something... Uh, the f- first credited composer, there are two composers credited, uh, Jeff Zanelli and John Bryan. Okay. Um, Jeff Zanelli uh, was, started off as one of Hans Zimmer's protégés. And his, I mean, I'm going to say first claim to fame, and that's probably not true because I'm sure he's done a lot there. But, like, when Hans Zimmer was trying to do, like, to unmess up the score to The Lone Ranger... Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff Zanelli went in there and did the uh, arrangement of the da 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 Oh, yeah. Uh, and that was one thing that a lot of people had singled out. So Jeff Zanelli is very good at taking other themes and incorporating them into scores. Well, then this was a very w- job well done. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I always hate saying that anyone was a Zimmer protege because a lot of people say that as a bad thing, and I don't remotely mean that. Uh, no, I know. For yeah. Anytime he says that, it is a term of endearment. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, a lot of my favorite guys out there now are Zimmer proteges. Uh, ben, Benjamin Walfish, who did, uh, he worked with Zimmer on Blade Runner, and he also did music for It. Uh, he, he did music for A Cure for Wellness, which that was a really good score. Uh, it's a good score. Weird movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I can't think of what Jeff Zanelli has done solo uh, outside of this right now, and I'm sure I've heard his stuff, and I'm sure I've liked it. I just can't think of it off the top of my head. Right. Um, but uh, John Bryan, I thought it was interesting to pair him with him, because are you familiar with John Bryan much? Maybe. Okay, so John Bryan was predominantly a record producer in the 90s. He did a lot of stuff with Amy Mann. He did a lot of stuff with Fiona Apple. Oh, okay. Um, but um, he also did like the music for uh, Magnolia, uh, he worked a lot with Paul Thomas Anderson. He did Magnolia, Punch Drunk Love. I think he worked on Boogie Nights as well, but Boogie Nights didn't really have a score to it. Um, no. But he also did like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Oh, uh, So okay. he works with a lot of really interesting instrumentation. I'm going to use this word that I hate describing musicians as, but he does a lot of quirky music, you know? Um, where do you think, where do you think in this movie his thumbprint was? Well, that's what I was trying to think of because, and I hate doing the thing where like, if there are two composers credited to where you're trying to listen to, Oh, that must be this guy. That must be this guy because you're always going to get it wrong. Right. Well, and their whole job is to make it cohesive. So I always think of it like when people talk about that movie, AI, how they're like, Oh, that's obviously the Spielberg part. That's obviously the Kubrick part. And most people get it wrong. Yeah. But uh, I think 
in the very beginning, you heard like a lot of like interesting instrumentation and that kind of blended into more of a traditional score. So like there's a lot of like, you know, tune percussives and, you know, like just a lot of like almost bouncy kind of rhythms. My initial thought is that was John Bryan. And then Jeff Zanelli was doing a lot of the more uh, traditional style. But again, I could be very wrong. Maybe John Bryan was doing string arrangements all over the place and Jeff Zanelli was playing on marimbas, you know? Who knows? Yeah. Either way, the music was really good. Now, favorite little moment of music was in the closing credits. You have to stay for the closing credits because they bring out Richard Sherman. Uh, they, they make it seem like, because this movie takes place, if I'm doing the math right, in the 50s. Because he gets home from the war in what I'm assuming is 1945, and his daughter's three there. Uh, and then she's about to go to boarding school, so she must be nine or ten. Yeah. Uh, so that would be 51, 52, something like that. Yeah. So they have it where it looks like it's shot on like a Super 8 film or something like to that. To me, the scene itself was super weird. It, the scene itself is really weird. But, but it was great, though. He's him singing, and that's why we thought about the initial, the earlier story. Yeah. At the when we went and saw Saving Mr. Banks, mm-hmm. because Richard Sherman. I mean, we were there to hear about Thomas Newman. Yeah. But it was really, I believe. I mean, Tom, he, Mr. Newman did talk. Yeah. But that was really all about Richard Sherman. Yeah. And talk. I mean, the way that he talked about Walt Disney and. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that dude's a cool dude. Yeah. He's a cool dude. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about the songs that he and his brother uh, wrote, Robert, and Robert's no longer with us, uh, but I, they wrote, I think Robert had passed before the last Winnie the Pooh movie, but uh, one of the last major projects they worked on together was the Tigger movie. And they wrote, awesome. they wrote the new songs for that. But, you know, I mean, not only that, but Mary Poppins, uh, all the original songs that are still from, like, the original rides at Disney World. Well, also, when they were, he was just like, when when we were listening to him talk, and, and correct me on anything that I get wrong, but they were just in the studio writing music. Yeah, they were just literally cranking out song after song after and song. And it could end up in Cinderella, or it could end up somewhere else, and... To a, to a degree, um, like they were definitely in there, like they were in there acting as craftsmen and they were writing things kind of like it showed in Saving Mr. Banks. Uh, they were writing things specifically for that. Right. But I remember him saying there was like a song for Mary Poppins that ended up in another movie. Well, they would reuse songs a lot. If it got cut out of something, they mm-hmm. would they would keep that there. Um, you know, and then like he was talking about in there, Walt would always tell him, you know, if you like something or his version of telling him that he likes something is that'll work. I love that. Yeah. I love, too, that Richard Sherman was like, that's literally what he said, and he knew. Um, also, because well, cor- apparently, I mean, this podcast is actually about Christopher Robin, I promise, but, like, in Saving Mr. Banks, uh, whenever he starts playing Feed the Birds, uh, it was originally scripted. Walt came in there and said, that's beautiful. And they had Richard Sherman on set the whole time, Richard Sherman on set the whole time. And he said, Walt would never say that. If he liked something, he would try and keep it as vague as possible. And he would just say, that'll work. Yeah. And that's his, that was Walt's, Walt Disney's favorite song. Yeah. That was played. Uh, I can't, I can't remember the story, but I think they, it was some kind of like, memorial for walt at disney world and richard was there playing that song and apparently a bird came and landed on the piano i can't deal yeah (laughs) can't deal but yeah so the music in this movie was really good between jeff zanelli uh john bryan and richard sherman yeah i i I think this movie just kind of left a good thumbprint yeah like we said there were things that we weren't 
crazy about and things that we wish had been a little more memorable. But you can't, we can't say that we didn't love this movie. I I agree. Yeah. And I agree with you. I'm not going to be clamoring to go buy it. Mm -hmm. Um, So we still buy movies. We do. Um, But I would not say no if someone said, do you want to watch that? Um, you know what I, you know, I just thought of it as a missed opportunity because I know we want to talk about like the perfect cup of, cup of tea. Um, but when she's like, uh, can I have five cups of tea, please? And they give it to her. You know what I wanted? The, I guess the stewardess, what would we call her? The, the trolley? Um, Anything from the trolley? I only hear things from Harry Potter when anybody says that. I'm not sure what you would call her. Anyway, you know what I wanted her to do? is give the little girl a cup of tea, mm-hmm. but give her five empty cups in an empty teapot to play tea party. Yeah. I really desperately wanted her to do that. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to see a play tea party, almost like a hook moment. Yeah. That maybe to them it was tea, but to her it was play. Well, that actually kind of segues into something that I just remembered that I wanted to talk about mm-hmm. was... Uh, how they treated how they treated these uh, stuffed animals existing in the real world, like it's not a Calvin and Hobbes thing where like somebody see. I th- and I totally thought that's the way they were going to treat it. Is like you know the people who didn't believe or the adults were always going to see them as stuffed animals. I and know, then these guys were real. Yeah, I mean they cause a car crash. It's a, it's a, <laughs> it's ba- they're basically treated kind of like uh, almost like an alien encounter. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that look before. Yeah. I think the donkey was looking at me. Yeah. It's so... But you know who that was? Uh, God, I can never remember his name. He was the he was on the British version of The Office, and he was in Pirates of the Caribbean, the one with the wooden eye that kept falling out. Oh, hysterical. Yeah. Hysterical. Um, he, was, he was a great bad guy. He was a really good... And, and not like... Well, I'm not talking about the bad guy. I'm talking about the... Uh, I, I messed up that one. I was talking about the newspaper, uh, the newspaperman. Oh, yeah, that was him. Yeah. I thought you were talking about the son, no, and I was that, like, really? No, the son is, uh, he's one of the creators of Sherlock, and he plays My- Mycroft Holmes. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes. I need to get back into that show. So, Jordan, on, uh what is a very hot summer day as we record this and we're pretending that it is merry old London. How, sir, do you make your version of a perfect cup of tea? I only drink tea one way, which is hot, milky, and uh, more sugar than I should be putting in there. (laughs) That's how I'm currently drinking it. Mm -hmm. I usually, if I do sugar in my tea, it's when it's black Irish tea, it's two spoonfuls of sugar. Mm-hmm. And um, and for those for those who know us know that we tend to be a a veggie household. Uh, we tend to be a veggie household, but um, we love milk in our tea. There's like no other substitute, milk or half and half. That that's all that goes in tea. Um, what's also really good in tea for adults? No sugar, you guys, but a little bourbon and some milk. And some tea, and I'm, it's going to cure what ails you. I'm mm-hmm. just telling you right now. Yeah. 
and that's also from Saving Mr. Banks. I didn't try it until I had probably seen that movie for the fifth time, and I was like, ooh, I'm going to do that. If she has a particularly rough day, and it's uh, it's especially if it's colder outside, I'll usually, whenever she comes home, I'll make her a cup of tea, and I'll put a shot of bourbon mm-hmm. in there. Yes, so do yourself a favor. Um, next time you watch this movie, maybe a little bit of a London-y day in your neighborhood, and make a cup of tea, and... I don't know, maybe have some fun flashbacks because I feel like maybe this movie did make us think about the past and and fond things. Yeah. I think so. Well, is there anything else in particular you wanted to add about this? I would say, even though we are kind of hemming and hawing on this movie, one, go see a movie. But two, I think Christopher Robin is not only good for kids, but it's good for adults. And if nothing else, just go to languish and just watching Pooh Bear. And I don't know just how glorious and innocent and perfectly sweet Mm -hmm. these characters are. And I kind of had forgotten how how wonderful they are. Yeah. Um, And I really, I really, really loved that. Yeah, I I would... I can solidly say that I really liked this movie Mm -hmm. and I would wholeheartedly recommend it to anybody and not just as a kid's movie, you know, uh, also, you know, to adults, especially if you have kids, I'm sure it's going to probably hit you in a different way than it hit us. Oh, sure. Um, but overall, this is a, this was a really good movie. I haven't really seen what the box office has been for it. I hope it, I hope it did well. Um, I think that, you know, if we're talking objectively, it had a few missed opportunities in there. It was a little more style over substance than mm-hmm. I expected it to be. Yeah. Technically, there were some things that was like, meh, meh, meh. Yeah. But, like, overall, I really like this movie. It was well made. It was, you know, it was well performed, especially by the voice actors. And, I mean, you know, I'm really hoping that the visual effects on this one doesn't get uh, forgotten come Oscar season. Oh, my heavens, right? Yeah. Oh, I mean, again, Eeyore stole the show, but like mm-hmm. I, I could, I could, t- I felt like I could hold him. Yeah, I could feel every one of them. Every one of them. And and uh, you know, Rabbit and Owl. I'd forgotten that they were real, that they were real animals. Um, they looked fantastic. They looked so good. Um, and it just from so family secret, everyone. Um, Jessica still has her childhood best friend. Uh, Doe the reindeer um, is 32 years old. Doe is a little bit older than me. Was bought before I was born, and and maybe I've I, I have believed my whole life I can't go to Goodwill to the stuffed toy section. I can't go to any thrift store with a stuffed toy section um, because I believe they're all alive and they all have souls, and I, I can't handle it. Um, and so shout out to Doe the reindeer. Uh, Dog of the podcast, everybody, is Charlie. He has hung with us this whole time, slightly begrudgingly. Mm-hmm. He's <laughs> definitely ready for us to stop recording. Yeah. Um, and thank you for joining us for episode five of Date Night at the Movies. Yes, uh, or How I Spent My Babysitter Money. Um, do we want to Do we want to let them know what the next episode's going to be? Or Do we know what the next episode's going to be? Well, we know what our next movie is that we're going to go see. Announce it. Or should we not, just in case we don't get to make it there? Spoilers. We'll wait. However, Easter egg. If you have made it this far in the podcast, we have an Easter egg for you. 
in the comments, you need to, um, whether it's on the podcast, if you're listening to uh, on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, uh, in the podcast comments or on our Instagram, you need to comment, let's see, you need to tag your hunty. So whether it's your significant other, your person that you always go see movies with, um, your you know, your platonic date night, whoever like your date night person is comment with your favorite date night. Let's say just for the sake of, for the sake of ease, uh, it has to be on, it has to be a comment for this one, either on Instagram or SoundCloud. Okay. So clarification, the first 15, Mm -hmm. the first 15 people to on Instagram or SoundCloud to let like you, you need to tag your significant other, your date night partner. I, I was I was just gonna say, you know what? Let's make it easy on everybody. Fifteen on Instagram, fifteen on SoundCloud. I'm I'm cool with a that. whole thirty. Yeah, I'm cool with a whole thirty on this one. Okay, guys, we have upped the ante on the Easter egg. We've got the first thirty. So the first fifteen on SoundCloud, the first fifteen on Insta. Um, I will say only one winner per each. So if you are one of the fifteen on SoundCloud. You're going to get an original piece of music from Jordan. Um, that's He's got an album that'll be coming out hopefully in the next year. And you'll get a piece of music. And we'll be sending that to you if you're one of the first 15. So you have to go on Instagram at Date Night at the Movies or SoundCloud. At Date Night at the Movies. And first 15, you have to also include who your significant other is. On Instagram, you need to tag them. Um or let them know. Let me know who it is. Um, we're pretty generous. Yeah. So just because I was trying to placate the dog there, just say say what they need to comment one more time on each one. So, on each one, you need to tag your hunty, your mm-hmm. significant other, or your platonic best date night person, and you need to state what your favorite date night is. Is it going to dinner? Is it walking? Is it hiking? Is it rollerblading? Is it hanging out on the couch and like Netflix and don't, I don't want to hear about the chill part and say what your favorite date night is. First 15 on SoundCloud and the first 15 on Instagram are going to get a piece of original music from Jordan Bennett. Yeah. It's an outtake from the album. I don't think it's going to make it on the album. So it's a, it's a special deleted scene. Exactly. I may put it on something sometime in the future, but for now it's not going to be heard anywhere else except for the first 30 people to comment. And with that, everybody make sure to subscribe on Apple podcasts, on Stitcher, on, uh, you can subscribe on SoundCloud. You can subscribe on SoundCloud. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, honestly, if we can, if we can beg for a little bit, uh, go to Apple and uh, even if you're listening to us mostly through SoundCloud, uh, go to Apple and Stitcher if that's what you're using and like and subscribe there as well just because we want to boost those numbers up. Yeah, and to keep begging, you know your grandma has an iPhone. You take it, subscribe, and leave a really awesome review. Also, because this is only episode five, we've got a lot more to go. Yeah, and I mean, you guys can hear the audio quality has been getting better and better every week. But like, you know, just imagine how it's going to be by episode 10. I may be able to afford a pop filter. <laughs> right. So we keep growing, but we can only get better if you leave us a review. So if you've gotten this far, you've gotten the Easter egg. If you haven't subscribed and liked, please do that. And if you've already done that, please leave us a review. One 
We always like to hear what you're loving, but also more of what you want. And Charlie totally agrees. And he says that you need to help us make this podcast the best that it can be. We're so excited to be sharing time in our studio with you. We're excited to be what would normally be car conversation on the way home. We're so excited to share it with you. So share the love. Yeah. And if you've already done all that, if you've liked, subscribed and reviewed, then you're just awesome. And I hope you keep enjoying the rest of it. And see if you can win your Easter egg. Exactly. (laughs) We've made it easy this time. Future Easter eggs may not be so easy, but perhaps. And we've got some awesome, um, some like sponsorships coming up and some really cool stuff. So we're super stoked to share it, everybody. Well, all right. Well, I guess that's it. Uh, I am Jordan. And I'm Jess. And this has been Date Night at the Movies. Or... How I spent my babysitter money. See how I reversed that on you? It is so good. All right. Take care, guys.